0: John, I haven't seen him in about 10 years. We were down in Greenville for a wedding. One of our good friends, Jason Cornwell, got married this weekend. I don't know if you know, some of you may know Jason if you're from the area. And uh, John and I were in homiletics class together, and he gets up. He, we get ready to go to class, and John, I was like, John, you ready to go? He goes, no, I don't. I haven't prepared. I, well, I've prepared, but I haven't. I don't have my manuscript together. I haven't practiced it like I was supposed to. And so he gets up, and he preaches it anyway. And so he just says, open your Bible. has no notes in front of him. You're supposed to have it for the class. And he just starts going in. And after about 15 minutes, you're supposed to be done. And so there's someone in the back holding up time cards. Two minutes, one minute, stop. He just held up the stop sign for me right now before I started. Well, I remember very distinctly that, that, that day in class where he's going, the person in the back is holding up the card, stop. And he stops in the middle of his message and goes, I will stop when I'm done. I'll never forget that. That was awesome. That was awesome. Um, I will not do that today. Um, I will stop when you tell me to stop. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Greetings from the church in Philadelphia. And so I am very grateful to have the opportunity to come and say hello and blessings to you in the name of Jesus from the church in northeast Philadelphia. Um, As Matt said, we are just really excited about what God is up to in our church, in our city. Um, Our heart is to be a city within the city that's for the city um, multiplying throughout the city neighborhood by neighborhood. And we just had the privilege the Sunday after Easter to send out 25 adults to plant a church in another neighborhood in Philadelphia. And so because of our partnership together, I want to say thank you. I know that even though you might not think about it, we are linked together um, primarily through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as Matthew was saying earlier, um, because of our link together, and because of my heart for this for this city in particular, G. Vegas, um, as we were singing, "Let Your Kingdom Come," um, the Spirit of God was moving my heart to pray for Greenville and Spartanburg and Greer and Simpsonville and Moore and Duncan. And I'm very familiar with this area, and just I just want to see the gospel flourish, and many men and women, young and old, um, turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ and be added to the church. And so my heart is here, even though I'm over 600 miles away. I'm also here today on behalf of the Philadelphia sports fans um, to officially wave the white flag as a Phillies fan. Um, I know that many of you are Atlanta Braves fans, and so, okay, fine, okay. Enjoy this, okay? Um, Now that we are 15 and a half games behind you, I'm here to officially say... We're done. Okay? Now you say, it took you until you were 15 and a half games behind to say you're done. Yet, we're very arrogant in Philly. Okay? Um, We're done now. And so, enjoy, but you will lose to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay? (laughs) Uh, Take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 24. I'll be reading from verses 13 through 49 in just a few moments. But as we prepare to get plugged into the text, um, I want to ask you a question. Have Have you ever noticed how there are so many people throughout the Bible who just live their lives with passionate affection for God? Men like Moses in Exodus 33. And in verse 18, he comes before the Lord and he says, Please show me your glory. Or David in Psalm 63, O God, You are my God. Early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh longs for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Or Asaph in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but You? And there's no one else on earth I desire like I desire You. Or the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, I count all things as loss. Compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I'm willing to suffer the loss of all things, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering be made conformable to your death. Or men in church history like David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the American Indians, who wrote this in his famous published diary. He said, of late, God has been pleased to keep my soul hungry almost continually so that I have been filled with a kind of pleasing pain. When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires of Him even more insatiable and my thirstings after holiness the more unquenchable. And the Lord will not allow me to feel as though I were fully supplied and satisfied, but keeps me still reaching forward. Don't you want that? At a minimum, don't you, don't you want to want that? Don't you long to have that kind of longing? Isn't it sometimes true in our experience as followers of Jesus that we, we thirst to be thirsty? So my question is, what, what caused these men and women throughout the pages of Scripture, what, what's caused followers of Jesus throughout the ages to long with burning passion for God? What fuels it? What fuels the fire of passion for God? Well, in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 49, Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us what fuels the fire. And if you're like me this morning, you need fuel for the fire. And Christ. Our ascended and soon returning redeeming king longs and is eager to fuel our fire. Let us read the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 49. Hear the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all these things, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found that just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary? So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us? On the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures. And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That is the word of the Lord. Let us thank Him together for it. Father, we thank You for giving to us the word of God. Thank You that You revealed Yourself to us in creation through Your written Word, and most clearly and powerfully through Your one and only Son. And I pray today that You would grant to us the gift of illumination, that the Spirit of God may enable us to see what You intend to reveal to us through this text today. I pray, O God, that You would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things out of Your law, and the things that we see would amaze us. That the things that we see would change us. That the things that we see would move us to deeper affections for You and cause our hearts to burn with passion for Jesus Christ. So come, we pray. We need to hear from You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is an inseparable link between being filled with the Word of God and burning with passion for God. There is a providential link between being filled with the Word of the Gospel and having a burning passion for the Gospel. One is fuel, the other is fire. That being said, in order for the Word of God to function as passion igniting fuel, Our text this morning informs us that we must read the Scriptures the way Jesus Himself taught us. Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman makes the following comment about this text. He says, What is startling is that so few followers of Jesus today embrace their Lord's perspective on interpreting the Old Testament. In Luke 24, if we're going to boil this this text down to a unifying principle, what we're going to get from this passage is very simple. Jesus teaches us how to read our Bibles. Jesus wants to teach us. He wants us to take to school, take us to school on how to read our Bibles. And we're going to be brought to a place at the end of this lesson, we're going to be brought to this place where we ask ourselves the question, do I read my Bible the way Jesus taught me to? Longman continues. On the basis of Jesus' instructions in Luke 24, I submit that it is wrong for a Christian to ignore the good news of Christ in the act of interpreting the Old Testament. It is wrong for Christians to ignore the Gospel, the unique accomplishments of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the act of interpreting the Old Testament. So the point being is this, we must not ignore the good news of Jesus as we read all of the Bible, but especially the Old Testament, where Christ is less explicit. Jesus teaches us that the entire Old Testament was written in anticipation of His future mission to be sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit to do for broken sinners what we could not do for ourselves, to live the life we could not live, to die the death we deserve to die, and to be raised from the dead so that all who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus will be forgiven all their sin, will be delivered from all God's wrath, and will be accepted and blessed as God's adopted sons and daughters forever. All of the Bible strikes the note of that good news. And what Jesus is doing here in Luke 24 is he's teaching two disciples what every disciple needs to get. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to get this. All of the Bible is about Jesus. So when the Old Testament was written, it was God's intention for the Old Testament to point readers to look forward to the coming day when Jesus would be sent. But now that we live in the days of fulfillment, Jesus Christ has already come. We are simply anticipating His return to make all things new, to consume the work of the Gospel, to bring the Gospel to its consummation. As we wait for that day, we now read the entire Bible through the lens of Gospel fulfillment. So we must not ignore the good news of Jesus as we read the Old Testament. Now let me say this before we go forward. We must be very careful because there are some funky ways to get to Jesus in reading our Old Testament. There are some who would say that every piece of wood is the cross and everything red is the blood. No. We should, as we read our Old Testament... Keep the historical context in view. These are real people, real events, real stories. But all of the stories, there's a story underneath all of these stories that is pointing us forward to the greatest story ever told. The story of Jesus. So the Old Testament points us to a future day when Jesus would fulfill it and give a fuller meaning to the story. Therefore, it's absolutely imperative that now that we live in the days of fulfillment, that we read the Old Testament with the Gospel in view. Every summer, um, the movie theater is just loaded with blockbuster hits. This summer, it was the Man of Steel. at least for me it was. Although I did leave the movie theater after seeing The Man of Steel wanting to throw people through buildings. I mean, it just seemed like every five minutes someone's getting thrown through a building. And so I had to apologize to my kids. I'm um, just kidding. Uh, last summer, it was The Dark Knight Rises. So this summer, Superman. Last summer, Batman. And so how many of you went last summer to see The Dark Knight Rises? All right. All right. I went two times. Don't judge me. Okay. All right. I went for the first time with my best friend Tim. We saw, we said, oh, our wives gotta see this. And then we took our wives. That was awesome. Um, when you're watching a movie for the first time, you may have a general idea where it's going, but you don't know all the details. So as you're watching a movie for the first time, you're watching the story develop. You're watching the plot thicken. You're, you're see, where is it going? And then only when you get to the end, okay. That's where it was going the whole time. Now I know. But you can't go back and watch a movie a second time and act like you didn't see it the first time, right? And so if you... Spoiler alert, okay? So if you saw Batman, The Dark Knight Rises, and you go back and watch it a second time, there's no doubt in your mind that John Blake, his real name is Robin John Blake, and he ends up being... Robin, you don't find that out till the end of the movie. If I just spilled it for you, get over it. You should have seen it. It's been, it's been out for over a year. Okay? There's no doubt in your mind that Miriam Tate is the daughter of Razal al Ghul. That's a big, whoa, whoa, mind blown at the end. Right? There's no doubt in your mind when you're watching it a second time that Batman, does he die at the end? Okay, I'll save that one for you, okay, if you hadn't seen it. you can't go back and watch a movie a second time acting like you hadn't seen it the first time and when you go through and watch it a second time you begin to see things you didn't see before clues oh that's what that was saying that's where that was moving it's exactly the same way in reading our bibles in the days of fulfillment we can't read our old testament acting like jesus didn't come It's like when we gather in our church in Philadelphia we have a Good Friday remembrance. And so very often at the end of our Good Friday remembrance I have to say to the church no let's not act like we have to wait for Sunday for Jesus to resurrect. He's already raised from the dead, right? And so when we go back and we read our Old Testament, we read our Old Testament aware of the fact that we know where the whole story is going. We know what happens. We know that Jesus comes. He's born of a virgin. He lives a perfect life. Never sins. He, He does things that no one else ever did. And at the end of 33 and a half years, He climbs upon the cross and He offers Himself as a sacrifice in the place of those He came to save. And on the third day, He rises from the dead. And then ascends and sends the Holy Spirit and we're waiting for Him to come back. We have to read the whole Bible. We have to read the parts of the parts of the Bible aware of the whole storyline of the Bible. That's the way we read the Bible in the days of fulfillment. So we must not read the Old Testament with B.C. glasses on before Christ we must read the Old Testament with A.D. glasses on in the year of our Lord. Because this is how how Jesus teaches us to read the whole Bible. And when we read the Bible the way Jesus teaches us to in this text, the result will be, did our hearts not burn? The fire will be fueled. That's what's going on in Luke 24. So let me give some more background to the text before we jump in and look at it part by part. This, in this story, it's the very day Jesus is raised from the dead. And Jesus engages two of His disciples who are confused. They are confused and they are discouraged. And He knows that they are confused and He knows that they are discouraged. And He knows why they're discouraged. They're discouraged and they're confused because they don't get the cross. They don't understand why Jesus Christ had to die. And so Jesus presses into these men to encourage them in in light of their confusion. So just even this is kind of more of a tangential application before we even drill down into this text a little more is that if you're confused this morning, if you're discouraged this morning, if there's stuff going on in your life and you're not you're having a hard time interpreting the activity of God. Um, here's good news from this text. Jesus Christ is not withdrawing from you. Jesus Christ pursues you. Just like he pursues these two disciples, when he sees his disciples confused, discouraged, disheartened, he doesn't leave them to figure that stuff out on their own. He pursues them. So take heart. As Jesus engages these men, he hides his true identity, most likely because he doesn't want them to go, No way, it's Jesus! <laughs> because he has something he wants to teach them. And then he asks them some questions to draw out their confusion. And so here it is. Why? Why did Jesus have to die like that? Why did it have to go down like that? Three days earlier, they saw Jesus hanging on the cross. They saw his mutilated body. They saw the blood. They saw the gore. They heard his mother weeping. And they're like, why? Why did this have to happen? We're told in the text that they they had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Meaning, they were hoping he was going to be the Messiah. Well, he is the Messiah, but they just still don't get why he was to be a suffering Messiah. So they have questions. Maybe, Maybe you have questions like that this morning. Been going to church for a while, even this morning you just came out with a friend, and you don't. You right now you are like, why am I here? This cross thing doesn't make sense to me. Why did God send God to die to satisfy the wrath of God? That does, that's kind of whack. What what's that all about? Well, these guys had questions like that too, and I would hope that God might even answer some of them for you this morning. But that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to help them understand why he went through what he went through, and in in the end, their hearts are burning. So I guess the big question we want to ask now as we work through parts of the story is how how does Jesus cause this to happen? What does Jesus do to bring about this burning in the hearts of his disciples? So how does Jesus fuel the fire? Let me give you three suggestions from this text. First, Jesus enables us to understand How does Jesus fuel the fire? First, Jesus enables us to understand. We need Jesus to enable us to understand what we naturally wouldn't understand. So what's our problem? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 25, we are naturally foolish and slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. I know Matt and Aaron didn't ask me to come here to insult you. But this is true of all of us. We are foolish and slow to believe. We don't naturally get it. You don't naturally get it. I don't naturally want to hear what God has to say, and I don't naturally get what God is saying. Don't naturally get it. Every single one of us, as a result of sin, is born into this world with a 32 gig hard drive of darkened mind. And terabytes of dulled spiritual senses. We don't naturally get it. The prophet Isaiah said it. It was repeated by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. There is none who understands. Not one. Just in case you think you are one. There's no one who gets it. There's no one who naturally gets it. And so what Jesus is doing here for these two disciples is He's going to enable them to get it. He enables their understanding. He takes their dull, foolish mind and enables them to understand and comprehend something that naturally they would have never gotten. So the message of the Bible is that in order to want to hear what God has to say, and in order to get what God is saying, we need God to enable our understanding. So to use theological speak, we need two gifts from God. Regeneration and illumination. Regeneration is when God the Holy Spirit makes our dead hearts and minds alive to God. This is where spiritual life begins. As God graciously causes our minds to hear things we would have never heard from God and understand things we never would have understood from God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, if you get the fact that you have sinned against the Holy God and there's, there is only one hope for you to be forgiven and delivered from the wrath of God, and that is putting your hope and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the only reason why you understand that and the only reason why you believe that is because God in His mercy has made your dead mind alive. You would have never gotten that on your own. I would have never gotten that on my own. We're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians that there're not many bright people who are in the kingdom of God. That's my translation. Not many bright people. No geniuses in the kingdom of God. A bunch of spiritually darkened minds that have been made alive by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. So in order to get it, in order to understand, there needs to be this gift of regeneration. That is an event that happens that gets everything going in our spiritual lives. You don't become a disciple of Jesus. You don't turn from your sins. You don't put your trust in Jesus until first God makes your heart alive. It's regeneration. But then there's the gift of illumination. This is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to continually open our minds and help us understand the message of the Bible or God's revelation. See, regeneration is the event where God turns on the electricity. Illumination is the ongoing experience of God flipping on the light switch. So in our story, we have two men who you would naturally think should get it. These two guys have been walking with Jesus. These guys heard the greatest Bible teacher on planet Earth. Now, Matt's good, but not Jesus. Right? And so these two guys heard Jesus preach, and they didn't naturally get it. They needed help. Look at verse 27. Here's what Jesus had to do for them. He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Jesus preached. Jesus taught. These men read the Scriptures. But they needed Jesus to enable their understanding to get it. Now, it's important to understand that these two guys aren't just like the exceptions. They're not like, well, these are, these, are kind of, you know, these are kind of the dull disciples. They didn't quite get it. No, look what happens next. After these disciples have Jesus Christ revealed to them, they run back to Jerusalem and they tell the apostles that they just sat in on the most amazing biblical theology course that's ever been taught. And as they're describing their experience to the apostles, we're told in verse 44 that Jesus pops in and says, peace. I love that. Peace. Got any fish? <laughs> Look at verse 44. And here's what He here's what he says. He says, then He said to them, that's the, that's the eleven. Judas is already off the scene. You're aware of that. Here's the eleven. Jesus says to the eleven, the apostles and everybody else gathered there, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me And the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Here are the apostles. And guess what they needed? They needed to have their minds opened to understand the Scriptures. Now, if these two men needed Jesus to open their minds to understand the Scriptures, if the eleven apostles needed Jesus to open their minds to understand the Scriptures, what about you? What about me? We need Jesus to enable us to understand the message and the meaning and the content of the story of Scripture. But you say, okay, I get that. But Jesus isn't with us today like He was with these guys. Jesus was there after His resurrection, face to face with Him. They saw His resurrected body. He was there with them in His resurrected body. We don't have that right now. We're waiting for Jesus to come back like that. Amen? Oh, I got a little Baptist so did Amen with a question mark. Amen? Amen. So how do we experience this kind of help from Jesus today? as we as we wait for Jesus to come back we're, we're living in between the times of Jesus ascension and his return so how do we experience this help how does Jesus help us right now as we wait for him to come back to understand the scriptures well one of the most pivotal sections of scripture in the new testament that help us understand how Jesus is with us now until he comes back is the final discourse in John chapter 14 through 17 And in John 14 through 17, Jesus explains that although I'm leaving you, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send another helper, and his name is the. Holy Spirit. And so Jesus explains to His disciples, I'm going, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to send another Helper who's going to come alongside of you and 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 in a sense mediate My presence with you while I'm gone. So how could Jesus say at the end of Matthew's Gospel, I am with you always to the end of the age when He was going to be at Heaven sitting at the Father's right hand? Well, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit of God, in between the times of the ascension and the return of Jesus, the Spirit of God mediates the presence and the help of Jesus, our redeeming King. And so one of the ways the Spirit helps us, we're told in John chapter 16, verse 13, that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. So I don't think that's just a unique statement to the 11 apostles. I believe there's a, there's a principle there that if we're going to understand the Scriptures, if we're going to understand the truth, then we need the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does for us now what Jesus was doing for these two men then. The Spirit of God opens our minds to understand the Scriptures. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of god neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned we need spiritual discernment that comes from the spirit of god so how do we get this how do we get this help from the holy spirit how do we experience the illuminating grace of the spirit of god well the spirit's already been given we just simply ask We pray. We pray prayers like Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. We pray prayers like Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Father, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and enlighten the eyes of our hearts? What fuels the fire? understanding the content of the scriptures and in order to understand the content of the scriptures we need jesus to enable us to understand that's the first way jesus fuels the fire second jesus not only enables us to understand jesus enables us to see Jesus enables us not only to understand what we wouldn't naturally understand, Jesus enables us to see what we wouldn't naturally see. As Jesus enables these men to understand the scriptures, what does he show them? As he enlightens their mind, as he sheds light on the pages of Scripture, what what begins to emanate from the from the scrolls? Well he tells us, look at verse twenty six and twenty seven. Here's what pops out. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Remember, they're confused. They don't understand why Jesus had to suffer and die on that cross. And what Jesus does is he shows them how the whole Bible from Genesis to Malachi at this point in time in redemptive history, that's what they had. He shows them how the whole Bible, Genesis to Malachi, over and over and over again pointed to the fact that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. There's another way to say that, that he showed them over and over and over again why he came to live and die and be raised from the dead to rescue, rule, and restore them as God's people. He showed them the gospel from all of Scripture. Notice that in order to show them why he had to suffer, he begins with Moses. This is the designation for the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then he moves on to the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, and a bunch of others that are hard to pronounce and even harder to find. All of it. All of it. Pointed to him. And in the end, Luke notes in verse 27 that he took them through all the Scriptures and helps them see how all of the Bible pointed to him. He does the same thing with the apostles in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written. Written where? All over the Bible. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. What's the main point here? Here's the main point. Here's what Jesus wants them to see as He opens their minds to understand. He wants them to see Him. He wants them to see that it is written all over the Old Testament Scriptures that He was sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit to live and die and rise in order to forgive, deliver, and make all things new. Back when I was a student ministries pastor, before we replanted grace, it will be eight years now in October, I was a student ministries pastor in, in Philly. And um, we took a group of high school students on a college trip, and we were over in the Chicago area. And if you're familiar with the geography of our great land, you know that it takes about 16 hours to get from Philadelphia to Chicago. And so 16 hours in a church van with a bunch of teenagers. Now, I don't believe in karma, Okay. Um, but I, I, I tend to believe that what I experienced during that trip was payback for the way I treated my student ministries pastor when I was a youth when I was a, when I was in the youth group. And so here we are, 16 long hours in the van. I don't know how many times I heard this is the song that doesn't end. Okay, I mean it's over and over and over again. And so we finally get to Chicago, and we're stuck in rush hour traffic. And I start saying all kinds of godly things to encourage my teenagers. Not really. So here we are, stuck in rush hour traffic behind this big truck. And then while we're behind this truck, one of the girls in the youth group leans over and says, Hey, Pastor Ian, I want to show you something. I'm like, got plenty of time. What do you want to show me? He you goes, know? look, it was a FedEx truck. He you, you see, goes, you see that truck? Um... Have you ever noticed that in the in between the E and the X of the FedEx logo, there's an arrow? I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, I had seen the Federal Express logo tons of times, and I'd never seen it. Can you see it? How many of you, be honest, you've never seen the arrow between the E and the X before? Thank you, I've changed your life. Okay, (laughs) let's pray. It was always there. I'd never seen it. That arrow was there telling me that FedEx takes your stuff places, right? It was always there. I'd never seen it. I had a revelation that that arrow was there. It was always there. Even though I'd never seen it, it was there. My life was changed. I've never seen that logo the same way again. Thank you. I, I hope I've, I've made a big impact on your life today. But this is exactly how it is in our Bible. In the Old Testament, there is an arrow even if we've never seen it, and it's pointing us somewhere, it's pointing us to Jesus... Every prophet is an arrow that points us to the perfect prophet. Every priest is an arrow that points us to the perfect priest. Every king is an arrow that points us to the perfect king. Every sacrifice offered is an arrow that leads us to a hill called Calvary where Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, suffered in our place so that we would be forgiven all of our sin. All throughout the Bible, there's an arrow that points points us over and over and over again to Jesus. And so when we read our Bibles, we want to be pointed to Christ. He's there. Like Sally Lloyd-Jones says in the subtitle of the Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers His name. I've been very stirred by a message that Tim Keller preached entitled, True and Better. And he says the following about how everything in the Old Testament points us to Jesus. Listen, this is an extended quote. It says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has Who has blood now that cries out for our acquittal, not our condemnation. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, I like this, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes and saves his stupid friends. (laughs) Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the death angel will pass over us. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the lamb, the light, the bread. That's Christ. And there's an arrow in all of Scripture that directs our attention to Him. All Scripture points to Jesus. Not some of the Bible. All of the Bible is about Christ. If you want a little simple statement to keep your exegesis of the Scripture sound, listen to this word from my brother Shylin. Here is the way to make sure you have sound exegesis. All of the Bible is about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about Christ. How does Jesus fuel the fire? He enables us to understand what we wouldn't naturally understand. He enables us to see what we wouldn't naturally see. And finally, Jesus enables us to be affected. Jesus enables us to be affected how we wouldn't naturally be affected. Notice verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? What happened... As these two men encountered Christ through the pages of Scripture, what happens to them when they see Jesus all over the Bible? It made their hearts burn. It was fuel for the fire. Their hearts burned with deeper love for Jesus. I mean, they already loved Jesus. But their love for Him increased and and they were more impassioned as they saw Him face to face in all the pages of the Bible. Their hearts were burning with deeper faith in Jesus. Yes, they trusted in Him. They hoped that He would be the one who redeemed Israel, but now they got something they didn't get before. They understood why He had to die. Their hearts burned with deeper zeal to be on mission for Jesus. We're told that they were going away from Jerusalem, the place that Jesus told them to wait But now they're going back to the place of mission to receive the Holy Spirit and to go out and be His witnesses. They had to share what they saw. They couldn't keep it to themselves. When you see Christ, you love Christ. When you see Christ, you trust Christ. And when you see Christ, you share Christ. So what will happen when we read our Bibles like this? What will happen when we read the Scriptures and encounter Jesus? Our hearts will burn. It will be like adding fuel to a fire. As we see Jesus and encounter Him in Scripture by the Spirit of God, our hearts will burn with deeper love for Him. As we see Him and encounter Him in the pages of Scripture our hearts will be moved to greater depths of trust in Him. And as we see Him and encounter Him through the pages of Scripture by the Spirit of God, we will be compelled to go out and live on mission for Him. What will happen when we encounter Christ and all of Scripture like these men, our hearts will burn as God fuels the fire. So what's the ultimate application? Read your Bible and see Christ. And your heart will burn. So where are, you, where are you reading right now in your Bible? Are you in Genesis? Look for Jesus. Are you in First Kings? Look for Jesus. you in Amos? Look for Jesus. you in Mark? Duh, look for Jesus. Look for Christ. He's everywhere. And as you see Him, as you behold Him, the One who was promised and then came fulfilling all the promises that were said about Him to be our rescuer, ruler, and restorer, as you see Him, your heart will burn with love for Him. Your heart will burn with trust and dependence upon Him. And your heart will burn with zeal to go tell others in Greenville and Duncan and Moore and Greer and Taylors and Anderson that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. Let's pray together.